Did I tell you that I'm like presenting at work tomorrow? I'm pitching something company-wide. I'm a part-time employee, and so I have never felt like, one, I'm not going to like go out of my way, but I had this idea for tutorial videos. Uh-huh. So I like, used the podcast mic, and I made a tutorial video that hopefully will be implemented into the system, into the website to help people, which will like help alleviate my job as a customer service person. And I'm presenting tomorrow, and I'm really, I'm like a little nervous. And oh, it's fun to pretend. It's kind of it's fun like pretend, pretend. And then do people a are contributing. I do have a blazer. That's a great idea I'll wear. I mean, then you're ready, you know? I don't know what day it is. You know what? I'm in that place. I don't where, think like, our dear readers actually know what day it is. Okay, so they know it's Friday. <sighs> Thank God, right, guys? Thank God it's Friday. TGIF. <laughs> Have you ever been to a TGI Fridays? Yes, of course. Um, What's your go-to order for there? On the count of three, say it. Wait, 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 wait. Page. Okay. TGIF. Okay. Ready? One, One two, two, three. Three, three Long skins. Island iced teas. Oh. <laughs> Even once, and that's what I ordered. Three? (laughs) They were four dollars each. It was a special, and I was in one at Penn Station. (laughs) (laughs) I was getting on a train to go to the Cape, and I was like, "Was this the one when you met Bobby Kennedy?" Uh, no, different trip to the Cape. Um, Jesus. Three Long Island iced teas for four dollars. That feels like college to me. Ugh. I bet TJF was like college for you because you went to school here their potato skins though are groundbreaking i love potato skins good potato skins are where it's at and you know what kind of hard to find you know what we you know why i know tgif is uh at sam's club they sell potato skins in bulk and i would eat that as an after school snack what do you mean mm-hmm. sell them in bulk? Like a pre-made potato skin? Pre-made frozen potato mm. skins. I don't know if I'm sold on that. Ah, uh, you would be. Throw some sour cream on it. Sure, sure, Thomas sure. is the bank of bits, and I know that's uh, persona non grata in this house. Oh, but I love a bacon bit on a potato skin. You have that's to. It kind of feels part. like you have But to. I don't like a bacon bit. I like like a I want broken, crumbled, bacon. crumbled for real bacon. Like, don't try to sell me on a bit. I would Although agree. when I was a kid, I do remember that we used to go to this terrific restaurant called Healthy Habits. That was um, just Sounds like, like someone who ate themselves. But it was okay. a buffet, as in Phoebe buffet, as in Noted. with lots of Rachel Greens. <laughs> so you'd go through the salad bar to enter the restaurant and then there was a pasta station a pizza station a dessert station i wonder how they got away with naming this place healthy habits because my go-to was a pasta with a thick white clam sauce and tons of parmesan cheese on it and i do sunday bar and put butterfinger bits all over my soft serve but i remember that was the place i first discovered bacon bits at the salad bar and was like mom you've been holding out on me and i would just get an additional side cup of bacon bits to just dip the thing to about just drink. bacon bits is just, <laughs> to throw on top of your butterfinger. It was like a sweet and savory on the ice cream. <gasps> Actually, that one sounds delicious. You're fucking genius. That sounds fucking good. It's called healthy choices because you had to walk in past the salad. So their healthy choices was like you start with the salad and then you can, you could like, that's probably what You they, start with the bacon bits and it's only downhill from there totally. is what happened to but me. But I think. So this is really crazy. Adam downstairs has been like. Our house is haunted. And I'm like, I know it's actually not. And I love stuff like that, but it's not. And he's like, okay, but here's the thing. Money keeps falling from my ceiling. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he has had it happen to him twice in the kitchen that a dime just fell right in front of him. Does not know where. Like, heard it fall and looked and it was a dime. And then he was in his his living room like two nights ago and texted me. And he's like, this penny just fell No. while I was sitting here. Isn't that crazy? Yes. And he's by himself when it happens. Yes. And everyone's reaction has been like, ha ha, Quinn is somehow doing this. And I'm obviously and not. And you're here to set the record straight. I'm here to set the record straight that if I had money, I would keep it. That's who I am. 
here's the thing I feel too is I was like maybe it's the kids putting money in the vents that are like 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 for some reason oh interesting and the vents like shake and just happens to fall out but like the vents a aren't in the ceiling they're uh they're low well I also was like knowing Griffin Griffin's usually gonna eat the dime he's not gonna right Griffin loves dimes Griffin loves Delicious. small objects to eat he's it's his favorite pastime it's his favorite it's how snack. he gets his iron facts what do you think it is? I can't fucking figure it out. How many times has this happened? We should have him on the podcast. We should interview Adam. Adam, we love you. Spen will be so mad if Spencer, we do that. Spencer, we love you too. I saw Spencer outside. Spencer has a very sexy low voice. Um, oh, yeah. Shocking, right? I think it was also because he was on the phone with like um, a work. He was like doing a work meeting on his computer and I like rolled up and I only wear an earphone in one ear when I ride my bike. I rolled up and I was like, heard this like low like low voice it was like registering in my body in a weird way and it was spent it's like oh spent see i mean i think also women do it too or women go higher like i, I think go higher for sure i go higher like I'm my already, customer like, service imagine i went lower hello my cu- <laughs> <laughs> hello. my customer service voice in fact i just recorded it for this presentation and it's like hi my name is carrie and i'm going to show you how to use this site yeah, because you're like, I'm not threatening. Like, I'm your I'm your granddaughter. Let's hang. Yeah. I'm so happy to be here. Let me help you. Emotional labor 101. Me. That's really how I sound. Speaking of which, I had a really great therapy session with my therapist yesterday. Oh, good. Are you unpacked? I unpacked a lot. And I'm a little anxious moving forward, but I think we're going to make it. Okay. That's all I wanted to say about that. That's great. I'm, well, I'm glad that that happened. Thank you. I talked about the ex. God, that's hard. That is hard. I know, because I think I got to get out of there. Yeah. Again. Again. Isn't that annoying? No. Yes, it's annoying, but also I don't want you to feel like it's not totally normal. The problem is, is it's all too normal for me. Normalize (laughs) camping out in a relationship, at least in your head. Even in a pandemic, like, I think that's what... I don't know. I mean, dear readers, I had a text from Jordan who had just listened to the podcast about my hinge communication. And I got to tell you, I uh, it's really cooled me on online dating. It's really uh, it's really not. I mean, I've always hated online dating, but that specifically, I'm like, I don't want to go back. I don't know how to meet people. My therapist was like, do any of your friends have any like single guys? And I was like, no. Oh, Side Do? note. I, well, no, I reminded Alex. You reminded him? Quinn? Reminded him. You're such a good friend. I was like, hey, how are we doing on the carry front? And he was like, yeah. And then he was like, I really like her. And I was like, that's great. So do I. We both aren't going to date her. So we have to find <laughs> other people that aren't us to like her. And then I was just selling you hard. I felt like I was like. What did you say? Can you tell me? I said that you're ready. For a serious relationship, yeah. that you'll be an amazing mother, uh-huh. that you are an amazing cook, that you're really, really funny. And I was like, Love. You already know she's hot, so I'm not even going to sell you on that. <laughs> and I was like, What are we doing? I know it's tacky to ask what you said, but I like to hear nice things about me. Guys, I, I don't I think did. I did. And I, I really settled that, and you nice... weren't even there. That's so nice. I'm blushing, I'm smiling, I feel loved. What are you going to be for Halloween? Do you know yet? Yeah. I'm going to be the penny from Ghost. What? Which does make it sound like I'm the person doing this to Adam, but I'm not. Stop. I'm going to be wearing black, head to toe. Facts. I'm going to have a penny glued to my black gloved hand, and I'm going to float it up a door while I play ghost music from the soundtrack of Ghost, and I'm going to float it out to people. My question for you is, what ha- what's that from? The penny. I don't know that at all. You haven't seen the movie Ghost. No. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Why are you kidding me? You? The movie Ghost you haven't seen? With, with Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore and Holy Whoopi Goldberg. Holy fuck. I cannot believe of all the movies that you... It's because mm-hmm. it's Carrie. It's a Carrie movie. That's why I can't believe it. It's like, I've if you say, if you're like, I haven't seen it. Apocalypse Now, I'd be like, fine. But if you're like, <laughs> I haven't... Platoon. The fact that you, Carrie, Ipema, have not seen Ghost is absolutely bonkers souffle. I think I've seen parts of it. Like, I know the premise. I've seen parts. I know the guy from, what's he in now? Um, Scandal. 
the president is in it. He's the bad guy. You know what? I'd say spoilers, but literally every single person listening to the podcast has seen it. <laughs> oh, oh my god, I can't believe you went through this. By the way, you're listening to Truly Darkly Creepy. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Epema. And we want to tell you a couple business things before we move on with the show. Yeah. Um, first things first, there is a Facebook group. It's called Truly Darkly Creepily Dear Readers. Um, you can join that if you feel like it. And if you don't, then don't. Ditto for joining things. Carrie has the this, uh, explain what it is. It's called Music League. It's for our Patreon subscribers. Okay, so if you're a Patreon subscriber, join Music League. I think we're doing Music League. Yeah, we started it back in October, um, and every month we're going to do a theme. So it's like October's theme is spooky. November's theme is gather. Each month it's a different theme, and then what it is is everybody who contributes, um, it creates a playlist, and then we all vote on our favorite song of that playlist, I love and then this. points are awarded. It's super fun. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, check that out, as well as our most recent bonus episode. We got a couple people to thank. Oh, our Patreonage. The first person is Maureen. Maureen. Maureen, we love you, Maureen. Is your favorite color green? Next up is Lou. With, no, 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 and it's no. cute. It's L-U. Lou. <gasps> we love Lou. Lou, Lou. Lou, Lou, Lou. You make us not feel blue. Lou, Lou. It's color theme day. We're singing to you anyway. We don't care. I love Lou. Do you think it's Countess Lou Andaluceps? I do. It's 100% that's who it is. Well, money can't buy you class. Elegance is learned, my friend. But it can buy you a Patreon. How about Danielle? Danielle, you don't even Danielle, smell. You, you have the same, same name, name as Quinn. Lynn. As her middle name. Which is? Danielle. Quinn Lynn. Danielle. Quinn Lynn. Danielle. It became about me. <laughs> I'm excited. If someone writes in that their name is Smith, I'm going to like lose my fucking mind. <laughs> My middle name is Smith, y'all. We love it. I love it. But not a lot of people named Smith. All right. Let's, Actually, that's um, a lie. So many people have those last names. <laughs> can't believe you just said not a lot of people have What's the last the first name, name Smith? of Smith? First name. Which, by the way, really? I thought about naming a kid Smith. It's cute. S-M-Y-T-H, which is how you spell my middle name. And my grandma's made a name. Isn't that cute? You could name both your kids Smith, and then they'd be the Smiths. <laughs> 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 that's cute. And now, a word from our sponsors. Listen to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. It's a fun show about weird stuff. New episodes every Wednesday, ya eggheads. I'm Art. And I'm Andy. And Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time is a podcast about conspiracies, the paranormal, UFOs, unsolved mysteries. We're going to be discussing the Kennedy assassinations. 9-11 conspiracies. Oh yeah, that's his nickname, finger-banging Bob Lazar. Does Stanley Kubrick's horror masterpiece, The Shining, contain a hidden message about the moon landing hoax? Give me some aliens with some good frickin' spacecraft. I like this Tehran thing. The whole enchilada. <laughs> the only thing bigger than Bigfoot's feet are our egos. Today's topic, if you like simulation theory, ancient history, egghead science, and Mandela effect, that kind of stuff. I'd drive my motorcycle through that time portal <laughs> and I'd be blasting Guns N' Roses and that'd freak him out. <laughs> Ooh-wee! Goo-goo-ga! Big part of my lore! <laughs> you famous catchphrase! Wow. So check it out! New episodes every Wednesday. All the links you need on MrBunkersConspiracyTime.com And we'll see you in the bunker. Whoa, look at you. Your hair looks great. Thank you so much. Do you know what I've been using? Uh, tell me. Glaze. What's glaze? Not a donut, you dummy. Have you been rubbing a glaze <laughs> I've been donut rubbing on a your glaze head? donut on my head for sure. No, it's a super gloss. It's like a leave-in conditioner gloss. Some of them have hair color. Some of them are sheer. I chose the sheer, and it just makes it glossy and shiny. It's amazing. My hair is so soft. It is. It looks so... soft. Can I touch it? Yeah. And is I... that weird? Can no. I... Oh it's my gonna god! Last... It's so soft. It's gonna last like, so long because I barely wash my hair, but it lasts ten washes, and it's amazing. It feels like I got a blowout. Oh, I'm looking at it now. It looks like all their shades are supernatural. Yeah. And not supernatural like aliens, like we talk about. <laughs> no. It's Just very... Real people. Natural. How fast uh, does it work? 10 minutes. Oh, seriously? Yes. Super Dang. quick. You look gorgeous. Thank you. Dear readers, you get 
15% off if you use the code TDC15. So everyone go get glaze TDC15. You won't regret it. I'm doing the story of the adoption of Natalia Grace. <gasps> you know it, right? Is this the one? Yeah. You totally I'm know it. so fucking excited. I think she was on my list and I'm fucking excited. Okay. So I got my information all everywhere up in that. I did Radar Online, Journal and Courier, article by Rob Wilkins, USA Today by Amy Huchka, Business Insider by Erica Celeste. Business Insider. Thanks, Vix. <laughs> Shout out to Vix. Legal reps. <laughs> um, an article from the Purdue Exponent, from Elle, and from Akona. Casey well, Brennan. You sound sure. All right. Well, here we go. Um, Christine and Michael Barnett live in the suburbs of Indianapolis where Larry Posner was born and raised. Well, well we don't know when he was 13. Love, but he and I have bonded over Indiana. We've spent some formative years ourselves, both in Indiana. And Incredible stuff. They have three sons and Christine is actually the author of the book, The Spark, a mother's story of nurturing genius and autism. She was super praised for this book. It's about her son, um, Jake, who's autistic and also a genius. His first academic paper was published when he was 12 years old. Go Jake. Incredible stuff. They have also been on TV before this whole crazy, I guess I'll call it a scandal. I don't know what to call it. Well, we'll unpack that in a minute. But they've been on TV because they were on 60 Minutes um, in 2012 talking about Jake. Huh? Do you call it fraud? I don't. I don't. I don't know what it is yet. So let's. We're, sorry. You don't call it that. I like that you're just gonna guess buzzwords though. Fraud. Do you call it murder? Do you call, do you mur- call it? Um, right. Fraud. Defrauding. Do you call it healthy habits? Con. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know this story. Okay. Maybe you don't. Um, in 2010, their family adopts Natalia. Um, from an adoption agency and they're like this little girl is from the Ukraine she's six years old had a really hard life she's been in and out of a lot of homes already and she has a really rare form of dwarfism Um, so far it's a hard knock life for Natalia and the Barnett's are like we'd like to give her a home so they adopt her now what by the way, I love the Annie reference. I don't know if that's offensive because they are adopting her, but you did. It's a hard not like for her, and you oh, literally made a. I didn't even mean orphan to. Orphan Annie reference Incredible. about an adopted orphan. Hidden so genius. just letting you know. <laughs> Natalia has recently gone on Dr. Phil, and a lot of the info bombs I'm going to be dropping are straight from her mouth. She says that a family visited her when she was really little in the Ukraine and adopted her and moved her to New Hampshire. She stayed with that family for a couple of years, but she doesn't know how many families she was with. The Barnetts will later say it was like 30. And she'll be like, well, I don't know if that was the case, but that's what they say. Seems like a lot. Um, the family that brings her to the U.S. originally has two boys and she gets, she's really close to one of them, but they like to wrestle a lot and stuff like that, kids. And at one point, the family feels like Natalia's being too aggressive. They think they, I think they say that she was trying to break their little boy's arm. And she's like, we were wrestling and I did land on his arm. I wasn't trying to break his arm. Um, Hmm. But the, the, that family does give Natalia back, puts Natalia back into the system. Oh, that's so sad. And then Natalia ends up with another family. She says there was a money issue that they had, so they had to give her up. For whatever reason, she has had a lot of trouble finding. Staying at home. Yes. Um, so anyway, the Barnetts bring her home. And the first thing that strikes them as really bizarre is that Christine is giving Natalia a bath and notices that she has pubic hair. Mm-hmm. She's supposed to be six. Yeah. So she's like, that's really weird. Then she says that later on, she finds a pair of underwear hidden that had blood stains in it. Like she had her period. Like she had her period. So she confronts her about it. And this is this 
there's two different stories here. Natalia later says this didn't happen. She didn't have a period. Christine says she confronted Natalia and Natalia was like, I have a period. I didn't want to tell you. So I'm not totally clear on what happens there. They say that she appeared to have, when they started to look closer and kind of think about the age thing, they were like, she seems to have adult teeth, not kid teeth. Mm -hmm. They also go as far as to say they couldn't detect a foreign accent and that they had their friend who spoke Ukrainian speak to her and she couldn't understand them. So they're like, we don't know your age. We don't know where you're from. This is getting weird. I think the undertones of all this are that they also have started to not appreciate some behavioral issues that are happening with Natalia. Mm -hmm. What Christine says happened is that she was drawing scary pictures of them and saying that she wanted to roll her family up in blankets and put them in the yard and threatening to harm them. She said that she would find Natalia standing, watching them sleep in the middle of the night, and that she they started hiding knives and things in the house, that Natalia would put thumbtacks on the stairs for them to step on. Really she not would, good home alone. Really, yeah. You're home together. You're home together and that's the problem. That's a home alone activity. Mm-hmm. So she would jump out of moving cars. She was smearing blood on mirrors. They're just, the behavior stuff has gotten really, really out of hand for them. Mm-hmm. And then it goes way too far when they supposedly are watching her from another room and see her pour some sort of cleaning agent in Christine's coffee. (gasps) Now, Natalia has spoken out about this and said, what had been happening is I was cleaning the counter, spraying a cleaning agent on the countertop that I was cleaning. At six, though. That confuses me, too. I was like, I don't understand why you were cleaning. Six-year-olds don't clean, right? Am I doing this wrong, this parenting thing? Yes, but that's beside the point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was like, okay, so she was cleaning the counter. That doesn't make any sense to me. She says it's a misunderstanding. Christine says this little girl was trying to poison me. I don't know the whole story on this, but Christine says they were somewhere and Natalia tried to push Christine into an electric fence. Natalia's version of this story is... There was a long walk. We were at a kid's birthday. I needed to sit and take a break. And Christine tried to get me to stand up. And I was sitting. And it was kind of a struggle because I didn't want to stand. And she fell with me. And there was an electric fence nearby. But I didn't pull her into an electric fence. I feel like as a six-year-old to come up with the psychological explanation also just doesn't attract to me. Do you know what I mean? Like to have like a kid, six year old be like, I didn't do that. Mm. There's like, there's so well, much. Like, I was okay. Cleaning. Let me be clear. This is not a he said she said in the moment that it's happening. This is what I'm fact. telling you about has sort of unfolded over the last many years. Okay. Um, which is to say, like as recent as now, but remember they adopted her in 2010. Okay. okay. So. It's kind of what I'm telling you is happening. I'm going to start adding some years and you'll get a better picture of it. I just also think as a six-year-old. But this Dr. Phil interview was recent. Yeah. I just also feel like as a six-year-old, though, like if you, like, how profound are your memories and how much can you excuse your behavior as a six-year-old? Do you know what I mean? Like, I look back at when I bit my sister at six years old, I remember being like, I lied at the time, but I did it. I don't know. I mean, it just feels really complex. Okay. Well, let me explain this. So obviously a huge part of the um, story is how menacing was she? Big question mark. She's saying this, they're saying this. Another huge question mark is how How the fuck old are you? And here's the thing. There's another mom that had an adopted kid from the Ukraine that kind of weighed in and was like, 
Ukraine's really corrupt. They lie about their ages on the birth certificates all the time. That's not something this child is trying to lie and perpetrate. That's something Ukraine's trying to do, maybe to help children get placed. I'm not really sure. Um, But this woman has a son adopted from Ukraine and said to her that the kids would decide their own ages in the orphanage and the way they would decide would they would base it on their height. So they'd have a kid that knew that he was 10. And if there was a kid that was a little taller than him, he'd be like, well, I must be 11. So it's like these little kids deciding how old they are. Now add to that that she has dwarfism. Yeah. So she's like, I guess I'm six. You know what I mean? Right. Not clear. Um, They obviously start taking her to see doctors and there's a children's hospital record that says he examined her in 2010 and thought she's eight. Okay. So that would track of like that she was six when they adopted her. Then two years later, they do a skeletal survey and they're like, she's 11. So the... It's like he's guessing she's eight. Then they're looking at her bones and being like, maybe she's 11. No one can pin down her age. Natalia ends up being hospitalized a few times in 2011 and 2012 at St. Vincent's Stress Center. And there's some psychiatric testing done. Mm -hmm. They diagnose her with a mental illness that is an illness that you mostly see surface in teens or people in their 20s. She also supposedly confessed to some of the psychiatrists she saw that she was an adult. Again, we cannot get a firm answer on this. It's impossible. But a lot of the doctors are guessing that she was anywhere from 8 to 14 at the time of her adoption. Remember, they said she was 6. So what ends up happening is in 2012, they the, the Barnetts legally go in and change Natalia's birth certificate and birth record to say that she was born in 1989, not 2003, which is what the Ukraine one says. That legally changes her age at that time from 8 to 22. She's one the same year I am, apparently. That's insane. Listen, she didn't have any guardian to represent her other than him, other uh, than them. And that makes her today, yeah. 32. Exactly. So, we know from Michael Barnett that he told authorities in 2019 that Christine was telling Natalia, you're 22. And if anybody asks, just tell them you look young for your age. So very confusing. They, at this point, because she's an adult. She's not under their guardian. She doesn't. Well, they're like, you're an adult. We think you're an adult or we decided you're an adult, depending on how you look at it. Um, Christine says, this is a quote from her. The media is painting me to be a child abuser, but there is no child here. She and so a person abuser. So an abuse. So you're, you're abusing a human. A well, person. so what happens is they try to put her in a state-run home through this program called Aspire Indiana, but she gets evicted. So then they just buy her a place. Basically, what happens is it's 2013. Jake got accepted to this program for a doctorate degree at Perimeter Institute in Waterloo, in Canada, mm-hmm. and they're all gonna go. They don't want to bring her. So they rent an apartment in Indiana and they pay rent like for the year and put Natalia there and they leave. Natalia is saying to the general public, help me. I was eight. I was eight years old and I got put in an apartment and left there. These parents are saying this was a 22-year-old that had been posing as a child that had mental instability problems that we put here. And we didn't even have to do that. We didn't have to get this adult woman a home. We're not a halfway house. So you've got these two wow. 
completely are trying to like garner sympathy in any way that they can. Both well, sides. it's these two really different stories, totally. okay? Um, and from Natalia's perspective, what she says is that she didn't really know what was going on. She was a kid, she was confused, she was scared. She wanted to be around other people, so she figured out that there was a school nearby, and this was called Lara, the Lafayette Adult Resource Academy, and she just starts to go and work on her GED. That's what she says. And now you say, that's what an eight-year-old did? She started to get her GED? Hmm. Margaret Axum is a neighbor that meets her. She doesn't know the whole story. She knows that the family left and she thinks it's fucked up. But she says, from my perspective, this is not a child. I'm not sure how old she was, but she had to have been at least 18. She didn't seem like she was 30, but she didn't seem like she was eight. <laughs> like, yeah. um, Laura is this school that says, we didn't, we don't allow kids to come take classes here. You you do placement tests in math and English and history. And if you don't have a baseline, then you have to, then we assign you a tutor. Right. That wasn't the case. So, and anyone that's under 18, a a parent has to enroll them. So I don't know what, you know, she does have documentation to show them I'm 22. We know that now they've changed her, but from their perspective, they didn't have reason to believe that an eight-year-old was attending school. Yeah, because they also do tests, so they would have... They do placement tests. So they weren't like, oh, this this person has a uh, second-grade capability. Yeah. They saw adult capabilities. Now, Natalia and her new friend Margaret, her neighbor, are meeting up with people from a drug and alcohol recovery house um, that is also in the neighborhood, and they're hanging out. Which seems a little odd, but Margaret was like, look... Natalia was really lonely and she was looking for other people to hang out with. Then she disappeared. Um, The reason she disappeared is that she got evicted because I think that maybe the money was up on that house that had been rented. The Barnetts had stopped paying. Natalia doesn't have a job. So she got evicted. So let's flash forward to September of 2019. Christine and Michael Barnett, who are now divorced, are charged with neglect of a dependent, and they plead not guilty. So the whole question is the questions I just sort of posed to you. Was she underage? Did they? Wow. So Michael's attorney is like, they had been taken in by the system. They did this emergency adoption in 2010. They were told that Natalia was six. She wasn't. She was an adult that was mentally ill. And this is a failure of our mental health system. And this shouldn't have been on these people. It sounds like it there. I mean, there is some truth that it sounds like it was a failure of the system where there was like no record keeping. Like there's talks of her coming over from the Ukraine at how old? We don't know. We don't know. So it's like, it's, it's, So what happened in August 2020 is that a judge dismissed most of the charges and basically said they weren't applicable because another judge has already decided that Natalia's age was an adult age. And then there's a statute of limitations and... Then they take it to the Court of Appeals. They uphold that decision. The prosecutor's office, I guess, is going to try to appeal that decision again and go to the Indiana Supreme Court. The questions are, what are medical professionals? Like, like the medical, like, it feels like people are making these decisions based on feeling or their perception of age. And, and I I mean, it's really hard to... I think it's also important to know that, like, her son was a genius and he was getting his GED when he was he got his academic paper published when he was 12 so like but listen that's an anomaly I don't think I don't know if that's typical but like you can't use an education in this family specifically to determine age right like just in this family alone it's proven wrong it's proven false however it's like what are 
she, she has a rare form of dwarfism. What does, like, research say about that and the age? You know, like, there's got to be doctors who know how to age this per- person, like, whether it's teeth. I, that is so insane. So, in uh, 2019, supposedly Daily Mail got in contact with Natalia's birth mother. What? So that's, that's what's in Daily Mail. Lies, but okay. Do we want to go there anyway? Yeah, let's. I mean, we have to. We have I, to. I it's, have to tell you. She's like, I had a, this girl sixteen years ago. So that would that would make her six. That would make her shoot. She was born in two thousand three. Right. Yeah. And she says doctors told me to leave the baby. And that there are good people in America that would pay for everything and that they would help her and be able to give her surgery. And the surgery was too much money for me. And then she says, I'm not excusing myself. I did wrong for ditching her. Um, And then she says that she heard about what happened in America and that her adoptive parents, quote, ditched her. And I thought that everything was okay and it's not okay. So that was one thing that Daily Mail Exposed. I don't know if we can... I would love a DNA test, frankly. Oh, interesting. Does that age you? No. Oh, you mean of this woman? woman. Well, I don't even know if the woman's real. It's really hard to say. But, like, I would love to corroborate, like, if that that is, like... I don't know what a happy ending looks like to you in this, but I will tell you... I think everyone's really unhappy in this moment. Well, let me tell you what the ending is, and then you can tell me if you think it's happy or not. Um, so Natalia said when she was on Dr. Phil, I thought I'd found the right family after bouncing around a lot of families. I thought I'd found the right family for me. But after this, Natalia was adopted again by a family, the man's sort of adopted. Let me be more clear. There's like they adult applied yeah. to become their, her legal guardians and then withdrew their petition because the court was like, she's not a child. Um, but adult adoptions are a thing. Totally. So Antoine and Cynthia Manns, um, they, by the way, have been really unaware of any of this. They don't like read about it or watch. Um, but they did take her in and make her a part of their family and they post pictures of her on their social media and they dress her up kind of like a little kid and she's hanging with their kids and Cynthia says she's been with us for almost seven years. To this day, she does not have a period. And then when she said that, you know who weighed in on that? Christine. Her husband, Antoine. He said not one, which I just thought was a little weird. I was like, Wait, Antoine, shh, like, no one wants to hear from you on the Ooh, period issue. I want to see a picture. He was recently ordained as a pastor. I don't like this. Sorry, I'm getting like a little bit. My blink is not is going off a little. He's commenting on her periods, and I, I my blink is not going well. They live in a parsonage behind a small church, in a town, that's like an hour away from the town she was in in Indianapolis. Does she seem happy? Sure. She uh, yeah, she has a family now. I think that's what she wanted. That's that's the story, man. Like I don't know what to say except that is the Can story. Can I see a picture of her? Yeah. Uh, you want to see her, like, on Dr. Phil recently? Yeah. You won't be able to tell if, like, her age from the picture. No, I know. I'm just curious. If I had to guess. Yeah, what's if your I had to take? Just guess, I mean, I think that every... I like to guess that everyone had good intentions. Yeah. I would guess that coming here and not having a family, not knowing your age... I don't think that whatever happened, I don't think Natalia was complicit in trying to... um, Defraud, like I said. I don't think she was trying to lie to people to get a thing. And I think that she has some mental illness. And I think that she's older. I don't think she was six. I don't think she was 22. Yeah. I think there's, like, some well, sort of middle. she was six or 13. Like, she was six or, like, when she came in. But I... I think she was probably 11 or 12 or something, not six. And I think that being treated by the world like a six-year-old would have been very confusing for an 11 or 12-year-old. And I don't 
And I think if you combine that with being abandoned over and over again and having yeah. those issues and it's probably a severe attachment disorder, and then you combine that with not being treated for any mental illness and having, I don't know, I just feel like... Yeah, I think, I think it's not... I would agree with you. I don't think people went out seeking bad intentions. I don't think that... I don't think it would... Much of this was done with malice, but I'm sure, like... It sounds like she was neglected by the system and, like, a lot of the onus. I actually agree with the defense of the um, Christine and what's-his-face. Michael. Michael, where it was like, you know what, the system failed. Because it's like we put this... Like, it isn't their failure, it's a system failure? It is their failure in a sense where, like, they had to act on their own. Like, there was no one acting in the interest of this child. Like, there should have been a non... An unbiased, impartial advocate for this child that wasn't the family that was someone that looked out for this kid to me that's what I think was lacking was like why the family that adopted her is their guard is her guardian right but when there's a failure or there's an issue where this seemingly child has to where this child has to defend herself against her adoptive parents Houston, we have a problem. And it feels like they were like, you're an adult. Here's how far we're willing to go to help you. And that's it. And then we're done. And we don't want to be in charge of you And anymore. it sounds like people took on more than they could handle, right? That's like, what it sounds like. It's I like mean, she was adopted. And she clearly had some underlying issues that needed re- resolving and needed some help and needed some a lot of attention and care. And this Christine woman, I mean, I... I'm making gross assumptions about her, but she has this book about her son who's a genius with mm-hmm. autism. So she f- probably feels like an expert in handling really, you know, difficult situations. And she's been applauded for, and she's been lauded for a book that she wrote about that, that maybe she felt like she could handle it. When in reality, like clearly she chose her son over her adoptive daughter. Like, right? Like, I think they were really genuinely scared of her. I don't don't think Natalia was going to kill anybody. I think she had behavioral issues. And you see a lot of behavioral issues sometimes with kids that have attachment disorders. And I think that they saw those issues, were afraid, didn't know how to handle them, didn't know where to find resources. And the easier thing was to for them to believe, well, you're probably an adult anyway. Maybe we don't need to figure out how to solve these problems. Maybe we can walk away. And I don't think she was an adult when they walked away. I don't think she was eight either, to be clear. Right. And I don't know if we'll ever know, but... I don't know if she'll know. I think that's the other thing, too, is like, she might not fucking know how right. old she is. Everyone's entitled to be loved and everyone's entitled to have a family. It does sound like on some level she seems to have found that. Uh, I why, am I, why is my blink off? Because that? I said uh, pastor and the period thing was weird. It was really weird that the mom was like, she's never had a period. And the dad's like, no, she never, not ever has. One. Not one. Not one. What the fuck are you talking about? I feel bad that you said in pastor, and I was like, nope. <laughs> I just think, oh no, my prejudice came ay, out. Ay, your, show, your prejudice is showing. Oh hey, speaking of prejudice, and now a word from our sponsors. <laughs> hey Carrie. Hey Quinn. You know what's wild? What's wild? An art gallery named Wild. Ugh. It's. An amazing art gallery, specifically featuring original artwork from Native Americans. Yeah, it's in Austin, Texas. And I don't know, I think art's a really cool gift with the holidays upon us. Buy something unique, buy something personal, buy something to support an important population in our country, which is Native Americans. I was on their website. It's www.wild, spelled W-Y-L-D dot gallery and I was checking out the art and there's some pretty rad stuff it's really cool there's a lot of different artwork on here it fits all different budgets and we want you to check it out in if you are in Austin specifically or nearby Texas I know we have listeners in Texas you can make an appointment to go to the actual gallery and physically see some of this artwork and for those of you not in Austin hop on that website once again it's www.wild.gallery get on there and take a look it's really beautiful it's special and 
monster. Let's support art. Come on. Come on. Dear readers, we know that nothing makes you reconsider your security like the sorts of scary stories that Carrie and I share on the podcast. Imagine walking in front of a security camera and it suddenly comes to life. Not like Lumiere from Disney, but it asks you, what are you doing on the property? The future of home security is here with Deep Sentinel. It is the only home security system that delivers the experience of a personal guard at every customer's home. You don't even need to be baller to have this security guard that is with you 24-7. And it sees and engages with any suspicious people on your property in real time. There are no false alarms. It has the fastest police response times, period. With the holidays around the corner, Deep Sentinel will also prevent package thefts. I know that's a huge one in my neighborhood car break-ins, and just plain getting the shady people away from your property. I know you guys want that. That sounds important. Trust your blink. Trust your deep sentinel security system. Don't get stuck with a traditional home alarm system. They're outdated. They have false alarms, and that causes a lot of issues for police departments that end up wasting their time when they need to be uh, assisting those in need. Check out deepsentinel.com and use the code VIRTUALGUARDS for 10% off. Get yourself a security system today. You deserve it. Carrie. Quinlan. Now that the travel restrictions are starting to be lifted, I can't help but fantasize constantly about what my next trip is going to be. Here's the thing I need you to know. Affordable World is this company that thinks that the best tours combine comprehensive itineraries with Tons of like sightseeing, top hotels, just like really good value is the main thing. Oh, you've just said the word. You've said value. That's their blend. That's the smoothie they are blending up, serving to me. And I am sucking it through this straw (laughs) because they have this new promotion that I love the name of. Ready for this? Ready. You deserve this. Give yourself the gift of travel. Affordable World, their packages start at $13.99, and that's airfare, that's hotels. What? Then you're going to use the promotional code, you deserve this. That's $250 off. Come on, you're giving it away. Well, you have to hurry, though, because also this is a sale. Did I mention that? It ends November 30th. Do you hear the the police are coming coming. to make sure you get this deal? Listen, go to affordableworld.com, use the promotional code, you deserve this, and you'll remember that well because, frankly, you do, and get $250 off per person of an all-affordable world land and air tour package. They leave on or after April 1st, 2022. Go to affordableworld.com today and enjoy your travels. Thanks for telling that story. It's time for me to tell a story. Um, I got this information from Stephanie one of our Patreon subscribers. That's exciting. Thanks, Stephanie. She sent this to me because she had just listened to her Julius Jones case, and she was like, I'm from Edmond, Oklahoma. And she said, please don't judge me. And I said, (laughs) I would never judge you based on where you're from. She says, it's a white patriarch's wet dream. (laughs) Oh, my God. And then she said, if you think Julius' case was bananas, check out Bicycle Bob case. So I'm doing the story of Bicycle Bob. Do it. I got this information from the Oklahoman, KFOR, Oxygen, Tulsa World, Oklahoman Legal Group, Reddit, and News 9. So we're in Edmond, Oklahoma. It's a suburb of Oklahoma City, and it's actually considered a retirement community. It's pretty affluent based on what I've read, and there's very little homelessness in this area. However, we have this one guy, Bicycle Bob. His real name is Dwight Morgan, and he's this, like, well-known fixture around Edmond, Oklahoma. People love him. The story about Bicycle Bob is that when he was a young guy, he was working at an electric company and he had a horrible accident that affected his mental capacity. So he had this like horrific incident happen that affected the rest of his life. Apparently he got like a big payout from the electric company. Like he was apparently a millionaire, but he decided to live on the streets. Mm-hmm. And they called him Bicycle Bob because he had his bike with him. That's what he was known. He was known around the city as someone who would, like, help with flat tires. He would shovel snow. But he just liked to live in his own way. And he Mm -hmm. was comfortable on his bike. Apparently, someone on the Reddit thread was like, I remember Bicycle Bob. 
he helped stop a bully from picking on me in middle school. Like, apparently he was just this, like, fixture in this community mm-hmm. that people knew. And in, in the Oxygen show, I don't know what it was, but an Oxygen covered this case. And the police were like, we love Bicycle Bob. Like, he was a really good guy. So, it's October 18th, 2009. Bicycle Bob is 54 years old. He is found dead in an alley. He has been beaten with a hammer and stabbed over 100 times. What? And one of his fingers is missing. Oh. Brutal scene. Horrible. So hours after the murder, the police are like, how are we going to find who did this? Because it was on the street. It's in an alley. This guy, Travis Monroe Jim, who's 20 years old, he's another homeless guy. He comes into the police station and he's like, listen, I was drunk and we were fighting over a sleeping spot and I stabbed him. He confesses. He says, I, I've been having nightmares and it just driving me to confess. Now, this is like the next day. Mm-hmm. So they charge him with first degree murder. I haven't found this information um, elsewhere except from Stephanie's email, but apparently he was a um, Native American. Mm-hmm. I haven't found that corroborated, but I guess what was happening is they were like, okay, we have the case. It's done. Oh. There's, like, very little investigation. This guy confessed. Like, and it seems like a, an aggressive thing to come in the next day and confess, but whatever. So they're like, all right, great. We're good. First-degree murder solved. So then that December, this murder happened in October. In December, this guy comes in. His name is Sean Parker, and he's like, listen. I actually know who killed Bicycle Bob. He's like, it's my wife's friend, this guy Connor Mason. And they're like, how do you know that it was him? He said, well, the two of them dated in high school. And in mid-October, right after Bicycle Bob's body was found, Dwight's body was found, Connor comes over to their house. He's like 19 years old. He shows them he has a plastic glove that is full of blood. He hands it to this guy's wife, Heather. Heather gets like all excited and she's like, oh my God, what is this? And Connor goes, it's a finger, hun. Sean, Heather's husband is like, uh, what the fuck is going on? Is that finger real? And Connor goes, well, it depends. Are you gonna call the cops or not? So Connor tells this couple He's like, listen, I used a hammer and I stabbed Bicycle Bob and then I cut off his finger. You wanted to present it to Heather as a present? What kind of... It so, was a love offering. Explain that relationship. That, yeah, so... That she wanted a finger. Sean is now divorced from Heather. Who loves but fingers? Heather was having an affair with Connor and I guess shit was dark. I don't know who... But she was... I seemingly know so excited about this finger that he gave her as a love offering. And the husband saw the love offering. Yes. This and was like, is, I have so many I'm fucking ups on yeah. this. No, it's, you should have follow-ups. Oh my. Don't know if I can answer them because I don't know if I can rationalize or explain why someone would want a human finger. Life is like a box of fingers. Ooh, ooh. So Sean says that Connor was like, I wanted to start my killing club. I wanted to kill at least 50 people and then write a book about it. Connor, Sean, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Sean sees this happening and I think, I mean, I gotta give some props to Sean. No, I can't. I mean, I, <laughs> oh, I don't forward. know. He did- what? For coming forward, like, this guy, I'm like, sure, he could have but... just ignored it, but, like, fuck that. And I don't know if you could just ignore that. I don't... Well, he ignored it for a little while, for a couple weeks, before he came forward to the police. <sighs> right? Like, was he just sitting on his, like, oh, should I try to repair this relationship with my wife, Heather, who loves human appendages? Ah, what do I do? What do I do? Like, what's the pro and con list on that one? I think you gotta finger the guy. I think you gotta finger the guy who has the finger. So... The police confront Connor and Heather, and they're like, Heather's like, I don't, no, no, I'm not ringing a bell. This story? Mm-mm. No, mm-mm. And Connor's like, oh, it wasn't me. She's like, let me think. Let me think. Did someone give me a finger? You know, I'm just having a hard time remembering, frankly. 
And they're like, you know what? Sean made it up because he's jealous of our relationship. Well, that's aggressive. If if that's the case, Sean. So Sean's like, okay, you want to play that fucking game? Hey, police, let me pop on a wire. So Sean goes and talks to Heather and she comes clean about all of it. And she says, I think you're jealous because Connor did this for me. Killed bicycle Bob for her and brought the finger. Mm-hmm. And, and what a defense. What a defense. That. You told the police because you're jealous. Not because a what? man is dead. This mm-hmm. is so fucked. So the police the next day bring in Connor's former roommate, this guy. And he's like, you know what? I No, I don't know. Uh, I don't know anything about this. No, nothing. Nothing about this. And then he leaves and he comes back and he's like, the next day he's like, listen, last night I lied. I actually know a lot about this. What happened was is Connor was hanging out with some of his friends and he was like, hey, listen, can you drive me to my old apartment? Which was about a block away from where Bicycle Bob's body was found. Um, And he comes back an hour later and Connor is like really fucking happy. Like he was blissed out gleeful. And I guess he had some specks of blood on his face and they were like, why are you so happy and bloody? Why are you so happy and bloody? And in fact, I borrowed a phrase from the TikTok, who got you smiling like that? And then he responded that he went to Walmart. He bought a utility buck knife um, and he killed a homeless guy with a hammer and a knife. So he was pretty stoked. I don't understand. I can't. Okay. Murder. Okay. The guy running around smiling, telling everybody excitedly that he did a murder is super off to me in a way where I'm like, what was this community like that you thought that you, I'm not trying to cast aspersions, but what were they like that you thought you could say that and it was a safe space to say that? That other people were going to be like, that does sound pretty fun. What a wild (laughs) night you've had. I don't know, but I'm... You're right. It does feel a little tidy where it's like, he admitted it openly, but I think he was like a 19-year-old troubled person. Okay. He talked about how he stabbed Bicycle Bob in the head so hard that the the knife tip broke off into his skull. And so he had brought another of his friends back to like get rid of like his friend, this guy Nicholas Kerr, ended up um, going back with him to help, like, get rid of the get rid of the knife away from it, and like he saw the remains of Bicycle Bob. So Nicholas was led back by Connor. They disposed of the knife. So the police have this information now. So the police look at the Walmart security footage. They see him fucking walking into Walmart and buying a knife, mm-hmm. buying the fucking weapon. They then exhume the body of Bicycle Bob. And they look at his skull and they see the tip of a knife, which is a part of the story, something that they didn't know. They have to go in and check. So it's like clearly they have information that the police did not. What about this guy, the false confession? Well, he's released. As soon as these people come forward, he's released. And I think he was just like maybe drunk and blacked out and was like, I guess I did it. Mm. Like he was drawn to a confession. Okay. Which is really heartbreaking, knowing that there are probably a lot of people who do false confessions. Nicholas Kerr, who I mentioned, disposed of the knife. He ended up bringing the police to the knife. It's in a residential area of Edmond, and he led the police directly to that knife. So they had the murder weapon, and they had his testimony. So they talked to Connor, the murderer, and they were like, listen, interviewing him, he seems like a sociopath. And if left to his devices, he will kill again. Oh, 100%. That's his plan. He said his plan. He said his plan. And he liked the plan. I feel like, and too, he as we talk really about... Happy. He didn't decide to do a murder and then do it and go, whoa, that what really traumatized me. He did a murder and he was gleeful about it. Like, yeah. you get that guy right the fuck off the street. We, we also talk about, and I'm sure we've done cases like this, too, where it's like, police are like, listen, to have someone be a sociopath is like a fun sort of idea but actually that's not what's happening where like this police station was like this guy was a sociopath right like a bad fucking dude so he's charged with first degree murder Kerr Nicholas his friend who helped dispose the weapon was also charged with first degree murder 
Heather, his love interest, the wife of the guy who came forward with this information, was charged with um, accessory after the fact. About a week later, she asked to talk to the police and was like, listen, I want to just add my testimony to the ring and say he confessed to me that he killed a homeless man. This is what she said. I was excited. He did it for me. I guess he thought I would, it would make me happy. We didn't value life. We were disgusted with humans and living. He cut the finger while he was still alive. And Connor's exact words was, it was amazing. She ended up pleading guilty to obstruction and she received a couple months, which was time served of her in jail already because of that testimony. I don't like her. I don't either. Nicholas Kerr, the one who helped after the fact, he gave the police more information and he also agreed to testify against Connor in the case. Um, And so he pled guilty to accessory as well and he got a 10-year suspended sentence. In 2012, Connor Mason pled guilty for first-degree murder and was given life in prison. I just want to say before I continue though that this was in... 2009. Julius Jones case that I covered a couple weeks ago is from the same area and he got the death sentence and I think it's just really important to know that this is someone who killed someone in cold blood for no rhyme or reason. The police said he was a sociopath and that he would do it again and he did not get the death penalty and Julius Jones did. Mm -hmm. And the big difference between the two of them one is black and one is white. And I just think it's worth fucking noting. So he gets life in prison. But then in 2013, it was reduced by five years to 40 years. Because life in prison is 45 years. A life sentence is 45 years. In 2013, his attorney came out and was like, listen, Connor's turned to religion. Enough. He's a a real religious man. He's like a whole new person. No. And so the judge said, okay, it's reduced to 40 years, five years, which means that also there's an 85% rule, which is a murder sentence. You have to serve 85% of that sentence. So you, t- you have to serve 85% of the sentence if you did a murder. And so he's eligible parole now after 34 years, which means he's going to be eligible for release in 2047 when he's 54 years old, the same age as Bicycle Bob was when he was murdered. This is a senseless act of violence. And I think also it's important to know, and I mentioned, obviously race plays a role in it, but I also think too is Bicycle Bob is a homeless man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the victim of the other killing was like an affluent, Mm well-to-do white man. And I think there's just different rules, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. for different people. And I... And I mentioned that Bicycle Bob was apparently a millionaire because of the settlement that he got. He didn't have any next of kin. So all the money went into the city and they used it for schooling and all that stuff, apparently. I have no you know, real proof of that, but that's what was said. That's a story of Bicycle Bob. Oh, R.I.P. Bicycle Bob. I know he seemed like a really sorry that happened to you. good person. And this 19-year-old fuck Idiot. Up killed him and is and because he turned to religion his sentence was commuted and as of right now julius jones like the clemency hearing i mean by the time this episode comes out we'll probably know what's going on it's so fucking backwards wow it's also just so weird that it reminds me of like separation of religion in schools it feels like there should be separation of religion and sentencing and it feels like the idea that it would yeah. play a role that you could be like i found jesus and then they'd be like oh cool we'll take some years off your sentence like that's that's commerce here well what's frustrating is when i read that it really offended me because i, I mean listen i was raised catholic i talk about it often i consider myself agnostic which to me is just like i don't i don't know That's kind of like my vibe is I'm like, shrug, I don't totally know. Mm -hmm. What I do know for a fact is that you have good people who are religious. You have bad people who are religious. You have good people who are not religious. You have bad people who are not. Like, religion is not a a precursor to who you are, what type of person you are, Mm -hmm. how giving, how generous, how kind you are. 
And I think, unfortunately, in our society, it's conflated. We're like, if you believe in God and you're a religious person. So I was thinking like, if I got accused or something happened in my life and I, I'm not a religious person, would that be used against me to give me an increased sentence? Like, I don't have remorse or I don't have a moral higher power to adhere to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's bizarre. I think I will give my mom credit. She always told me when we talked about religion and stuff and she was like, Carrie, when we were talking about Catholic, she was like, you know, there are people who are Catholic who are really, really good. There are people who are Catholic who are really, really bad. There are people who are not Catholic who are really, really good. There are people, like that's how she, and it was, and that I always mean, stayed with me where it's like, it doesn't, who, what you believe is not a determ, a determination of who you are. Does that make sense? I don't believe in God, but I believe in kindness. Totally. Totally. And also, like, if we want to look at Jesus, that guy really loved to treat people nice, right? He was just, like, a good hippie. Yeah, look, I'm not against... I'm all about freedom of religion. So if you uh, believe in whatever you want, don't be a fucking dick. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Just, like, don't. Listen... Don't do a murder. Don't do a murder and don't sell me in an MLM. We're so sick of reminding you guys of this, but no MLMs and no murders. We've said it so many times. We've got two rules in this house. That's it. No MLMs, no murders. Who needs an MLM? I got money falling out of the fucking sky living in this house. Well, your downstairs neighbors do. You don't. I know. I was like, where's our upstairs I feel like you kind of like got the shit out of the bargain. It's it's trickle-down economics. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they talk about is trickle-down economics. That's what that is, right? That's what they're referring to. (laughs) That's exactly what they're referring to. That's a good note to end on, I think. (sighs) All right. Well, that's all. Dear readers, join Patreon. Take care of you. Have a great day. We'll see you or talk to you later. Catch you on the flip. Flippity flip. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, dear readers.